invite you to take your Bibles now and turn to the little book of Philemon, which we began last week, just as a transition between the uh, Canons of Dort and anticipating our study of the Heidelberg Catechism. We have a few weeks in between, and we are looking at this little book of Philemon. It's page, if you have a pew Bible, it's page 1830, 1830. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God. Here begins our text, or verses 4 through 7 for this morning. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord." If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. When you read Paul's letters to the various churches, you discover that he was not a man given to flattery. 
He was not one who, who would praise a person insincerely. The apostle was a man of integrity and honesty. When there was sin or division in the church, he addressed it. When there was pride in the church, he confronted it. When there was self-righteousness in the church, he attacked it. He was always very pointed, honest, and straightforward. He wasn't out to win a popularity contest. He addressed situations biblically and lovingly. And so Paul's words of introduction to Philemon were certainly not intended to flatter him, to butter him up in order to gain his favor. Paul had genuine respect and love for this man. We saw last week that in verse 1, he referred to him as our beloved friend or the beloved. Paul loved him as a friend and brother in Christ. He also referred to him in verse 1 as a fellow worker. It is probable that Philemon assisted Paul while he labored in the city of Ephesus. For a time, they may have worked side by side for the promotion of the gospel. Philemon had come to know the Lord through the apostle, and he remained very dear to Paul. When he became a Christian, it became very evident in his life. He was not ashamed of the gospel. It is clear that he was able to give account for the hope that was within him. He was the kind of man who brought encouragement, strength to others, the kind of individual who built up and edified the members of the body. Today, from verses 4 through 7, I want us to consider whether we, like Philemon, are refreshing the hearts of the saints. Now, just a word of clarification before we consider the text. What is a saint? The end of verse 7 says, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. What is a saint? The word has been frequently misused. In the early church, after the death of the apostles, over a period of time, the word came to be used for those people who showed outstanding marks of consecration to God or the influence of the Holy Spirit upon them by their character or conduct. In the second century, the inclusion of saints in the liturgical calendar began. These were observances of the death days of martyrs. Eventually, they began to dedicate churches to saints as they built them over the tombs of the martyrs. As time went on, the observance of these festivals became more widespread and universal calendars of saints for the Western and Eastern churches resulted. In the Church of Rome, a saint qualifies for inclusion under that title in the calendar when he or she has been canonized by the Pope. The requirements for canonization are heroic virtue and miracles. Miracles are believed to occur at the saint's tomb or through his relics or images or at shrines where the saint is said to have appeared. The practice known as the invocation of saints also became common. People would make direct requests to a saint for his or her intercession or for other benefits. This practice was already in existence by the fourth century. During the Reformation, many of these things were abolished. And some of the reformers removed the saints from the calendar altogether so that the festivals of saints were done away with. 
Because of the many abuses in the history of the church, most people today have an incorrect idea of what a saint is. Webster's Dictionary defines a saint as a holy person, a person who is exceptionally charitable, patient, etc. In certain churches, a person officially recognized and venerated for having attained heaven after an exceptionally holy life. Webster's. Well, what is a saint? Saints are Christians. They're not special Christians. They're people like you and me. Paul writes to the saints at Rome, to the saints at Corinth, to the saints at Ephesus, to the saints at Philippi, and in every case, he means the church, believers, ordinary Christians. You today can be called the saints at Aylmer. That is not something you become when you die. You are called saints already now. To be a saint does not mean that you have risen to some level of personal holiness. A person who is a saint will strive to be holy, but this holiness, however great it may be, will not make him a saint. The person who bears the name saint does so because he has been set apart. That's the key. He's been set apart by God in Christ to glorify Him. The biblical word for saint refers to consecration to God, set apart by God for His use. If you are a Christian, then God has set you apart. You're not a saint because of what you have done, because you, but because you have been separated unto God in Christ. You are a saint by virtue of your union with Him. You cannot make yourself a saint. A saint is called to be a saint. Paul writes to the Romans, chapter 1, verse 7, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Elsewhere he said, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. A saint is someone who is set apart, called of God for his use. If you're not united with Christ, you are a saint. So Paul was a saint. Philemon was a saint. And those in the church in his house were saints. We need to rid ourselves of widely held unbiblical definitions. Philemon was a saint who refreshed the saints. We notice, first of all, point number one, that his conduct produced thanksgiving. His conduct produced thanksgiving. Have a look with me, please, in your Bibles to verse 4. Paul says, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. Paul began the main body of this letter by acknowledging the goodness of God in and through the life of Philemon. I thank my God. Paul understood that any goodness in the life of men and women comes from God. He is the author. In Galatians 5, he said that love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all these things are the fruit of the Spirit. 
When this fruit becomes evident in one's life, it is God alone who deserves the praise. God was the one who had taken hold of Philemon, opened his eyes, granted him to see spiritual things, and set him on a new course of life. God had brought him from darkness to light, from death to life, from disobedience to obedience. When Paul thought about the changes in this man's life, he did not pat himself on the back as though Philemon was converted by him. No, he thanked God for so clearly demonstrating his power through the conversion of this sinner. Paul was deeply thankful for the work of grace that was evident in the life of Philemon. And therefore he says in verse 4 that he made mention of him always in his prayers. Paul was in Rome in prison while Philemon was in Colossae. They were separated by more than 600 miles. Yet Paul never forgot to give thanks for this man. As I read verse 4, some questions come to mind for us to consider. First of all, do we live in such a way as to cause others to give thanks for us? Do we live in such a way as to cause others to give thanks for us? Is your life, your testimony, your zeal, your walk with God, the cause of another's thanksgiving? Are others humbled in gratitude to God because the evidence of His work shines through you? When was the last time that someone observed your life and gave thanks for what he saw? Then secondly, do we sometimes live such a self-centered life with such a critical spirit that we cannot be thankful for others? Do we sometimes live such a self-centered life with such a critical spirit that we cannot be thankful for others? Do we focus only on the weaknesses of others and neglect to see the positive ev evidences of faith in them? We can always find faults in other people, no matter how godly they may be. And yes, there are times when we need to confront one another to help each other overcome those faults. But do we also rejoice at the work of God in the lives of His people? When you pray, do you thank God for those souls that have been brought from death to life? Do you thank the Lord for those people that he has brought into your life who have set a model of Christian devotion and consecration before you? Do you thank the Lord for those brothers and sisters within this body right here who have encouraged you, assisted you, and edified you? We need to pray for those who are wayward in the flock, but we also need to thank God for those who have set before us a godly example of Christian commitment. Paul said, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. He repeatedly brought Philemon before the throne of God with thanksgiving. And a third question in connection with verse 4, is this. How faithfully do you uphold your brothers and sisters in prayer? 
How faithfully do you uphold your brothers and sisters in prayer? Paul prayed continually for Philemon. He also prayed continually for some of the other churches. His work may have been restricted while he was in prison, but he knew that there was always that one thing that he could do. They could bind him with chains, but they could not stop him from praying. And so he prayed for individuals, for churches, whoever was in need or not in need, he prayed. In Colossians 1 verse 3, he said, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. How faithfully do we uphold our brothers and sisters in prayer? How often do you pray for the families or the individuals of this church? If you go through the membership of this church, you will discover that there's not a single family or individual that does not have a need or a burden of some sort. I thank my God, says Paul, making mention of you always in my prayers. Then as we move on to verse 5, we can see why Philemon's conduct and life produced thanksgiving. Paul says that he had heard of Philemon's love and faith, which he had toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Although Paul was many miles away, he had heard all about Philemon's conduct. In verse 23, of this book, we come across the name Epaphras. You see it there in verse 23. Epaphras was a member of the Colossian church and apparently one of its spiritual leaders. You can read of that in the fourth chapter of Colossians. Epaphras had traveled from Colossae to Rome, and through him, the news of the church was conveyed to Paul. Epaphras had obviously given an excellent report of the work of Philemon and his example to the church. You might say that Epaphras was talking behind Philemon's back, but in a very positive and edifying way. You can imagine him coming to Paul's prison cell in Rome, and, and not long into their conversation, Paul asks him, so how are things going in the church? Are you still meeting in Philemon's house? Yes, we are. And how is Philemon doing? Paul, that man is an extraordinary exceptional Christian. He's steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That man never tires of doing God's work. His faith in the Lord Jesus is obvious, and he constantly demonstrates his love for the members of the church. He's a lover of hospitality, generous and kind, always willing to give of himself for the good of the body. He's an example in so many ways. Paul obviously received a very positive report from Epaphras. He may have also received some news from the slave Onesimus. As an unbeliever, Onesimus had run away from his master Philemon and fled to Rome, hoping to disappear in the imperial city's teeming population. But through the providence of God, he came into contact with the apostle Paul and was converted. Following his conversion, no doubt his view of his master Philemon changed significantly. And so in all likelihood, Paul also received bits of information from Onesimus as he visited Paul in prison. Now, 
Verse 5 specifically mentions two important things that Paul had heard about Philemon. Two things. Hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Another translation says, I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Faith in Jesus, love for the saints. First of all, Paul had heard in prison about the faith which Philemon had in Jesus. As we read this, we should keep in mind the purpose of the letter. Onesimus, Philemon's slave, had fled to Rome, perhaps even stealing money from his master when he had fled. In Rome, he was converted through Paul, and now Paul is sending him back to his master to be reconciled. The purpose of this brief letter was to encourage Philemon to receive Onesimus back, not merely as a slave, but as a Christian brother. In verses 4 through 7, Paul is not flattering Philemon, but he is beginning to lay a foundation for his appeal on behalf of Onesimus. The praiseworthy character of Philemon becomes the foundation upon which Paul can appeal to him to forgive Onesimus. So Paul said, I've heard about the faith which you have in the Lord Jesus. As a true believer, Philemon knew what it was like to experience the forgiveness of, of God. Through faith in Jesus, he was justified, declared righteous in the sight of God. And having been justified by faith, he had peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Philemon, who had previously been a condemned vile sinner who had, as it were, run away from his master's house, capital M, who had, you might say, stolen from his master, he who had no rightful claim to any of the good gifts of God, he who had lived in the darkness of sin and unbelief, he, Philemon, had nevertheless been granted complete pardon from his gracious master. His master, God in heaven, received him not only as a servant, but as what? A son. As a son. As Philemon cried out in repentance and faith in Jesus, the Lord took him, embraced him, and wiped away his sin. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removed his transgressions from him. His faith toward the Lord Jesus brought complete liberation, freedom, Do you see, do you see how Paul is laying the foundation for his appeal? Philemon, I have heard about your faith toward the Lord Jesus. By trusting in him, you've been justified. Your staggering debt has been totally canceled. You have been cleansed of all your sin. You're now living in the joy of salvation. Receive joyfully into the master's house. Paul, you see, is building his case. Because the Lord had forgiven Philemon, Philemon should also be able to forgive Onesimus. Secondly, Paul has heard not only about Philemon's genuine faith in Jesus, but also of the love which he had toward all the saints. 
those who are loved by Jesus begin to show their love for God's children. Philemon had opened his home for the church and had given himself to assist the saints. His love for all the saints was generous, genuine, without hypocrisy. Here again, brothers and sisters, by acknowledging his love for all the saints, Paul was further laying the foundation for his appeal. You could see him preparing the way for verses 8 and following. Onesimus had now also become what? A saint. He had been called effectually by God, set apart in Christ for the purpose of glorifying Him. Since Philemon was known for his love toward all the saints, it stands to reason that this love should now also be extended to the runaway slave Onesimus. Philemon loved the saints, Onesimus was now a saint, thus his love should also extend to Onesimus. As we proceed to verse 6, we are shown the content of Paul's prayer on behalf of Philemon. In verse 6, Paul picks up where he left off in verse 4. In verse 4, he said, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. Then in verse 6, he says, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Now, verse 6 is admittedly a rather difficult verse to translate. In fact, some argue that it's one of the most difficult verses in the New Testament. Just what exactly is Paul praying for? If you have other versions from what I am reading here, it may seem quite different. Commentators also struggle in their understanding of this verse. Is Paul praying for Philemon's personal evangelism, conversational evangelism? Philemon, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. When we mention sharing our faith, we're usually talking about witnessing to others, talking to others about Christ and the way of salvation. But the New American Standard translates it like this. Listen. I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective. I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective. The word that's translated sharing in the New King James, I pray that the sharing of your faith is the Greek word koinonia, which refers to fellowship, partnership, or participation. As important as personal evangelism may be, and it is certainly very important for every Christian, it has been said that two great privileges in life are to speak to God on behalf of others and to speak to others on behalf of God. But as important as personal evangelism may be, that is probably not what Paul is praying for in verse 6. He's not saying, Philemon, I pray that you may be active and successful in your witnessing and evangelistic work. What Paul appears to be saying in verse 6 is this. I pray that the mutual participation, koinonia, fellowship, which is proper to the Christian faith, may bring about a deeper understanding of every blessing which we have in our life in union with Christ. Let me say that again. 
I pray that the mutual participation, koinonia, fellowship, which is proper to the Christian faith, may bring about a deeper understanding of every blessing which we have in our life in union with Christ. One commentator said, this verse does not refer to witnessing to others who, have, who do not have faith. Instead, it has in view sharing the same faith with other believers. Paul is referring to the mutuality of Christian life, the mutuality of Christian life which springs from a common participation in the body of Christ. Shared faith in Christ has a bonding character and welds us to others who share the same experience of faith. Here again, congregation, it seems clear that Paul is leading up to his appeal on behalf of Onesimus. Since Onesimus is now a Christian, Philemon has much in common with him. Philemon, a landowner, and Onesimus, a slave, are bound together. They are united in koinonia, fellowship. And as that fellowship is cultivated, it will produce a deeper appreciation for the good things they have in Christ. If Philemon were to receive him back as a forgiven and restored brother in the Lord and reach out to him so as to draw him into complete and unreserved fellowship, his understanding of the good things in Christ would increase. Paul's prayer is that Philemon's fellowship with other Christians, including Onesimus, may bear fruit. From a cold prison cell in Rome, Paul was still concerned about warm and genuine fellowship among God's people. Fellowship that transcends all social distinctions. And that, brothers and sisters, should also be our concern today. How can we proclaim a gospel of free and gracious forgiveness unless we're able to forgive our brothers and sisters and pursue genuine fellowship with them? The message of the gospel should be reflected in the way that we treat those who have transgressed against us. If we show an unforgiving spirit towards brothers and sisters in Christ, then Christian fellowship will be incomplete and unfruitful. For Philemon to continue his work in Colossae effectively, he must respond positively to the appeal which Paul is about to make. Only then will he continue to enjoy this warm fellowship in the church. Then we come to the conclusion of this portion, verse 7, in which we see that Philemon's life till now had been a source of strength to others. His conduct was invigorating for the body. Point number two. His conduct was invigorating for the body. Notice what Paul says of him in verse 7. Please have a look. Verse 7. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Philemon had a reputation for his unfailing love for the people of God. 
It was this love that brought much joy and encouragement to the apostle. Through Philemon, the hearts of the saints had been refreshed. The word that's translated hearts there in verse 7 is a word that refers literally to the inner organs, the inward parts. It's a word that describes the seat of the deepest emotions. People who were struggling or wounded emotionally had been refreshed by Philemon. He was a listening ear, a counselor, an advisor, a friend. The word that's translated refreshed in verse 7 is a great word. It's the same word that Jesus used when he said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Come to me, and I will give you peace of mind and heart. You will be refreshed and find healing for your troubled soul. Through Philemon, the hearts of the saints found rest. What did Philemon do to help the weak, struggling, those who were hurting emotionally? Did he give them a little pep talk once in a while to build up their self-esteem, to give them a psychological lift? What did he do that brought such great joy and comfort to the saints? Congregation Philemon brought rest and renewal to troubled souls by setting before them the only way to true spiritual refreshment. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Philemon didn't just give them a shoulder to cry on. He may have done that. He may have done that. But he also gave them a remedy for their wounds, hurts, and troubled souls. The way to true rest is found in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we do well to ask ourselves, when was the last time that you brought rest, refreshment to the hearts of the saints? We are not told that Philemon was an elder, a deacon, a leader in the church. He was perhaps a businessman, an ordinary church member just like you. And yet he was a source of blessing and strength to the entire body. He was a man who said, brother, sister, there is rest for your troubled soul in Christ Jesus. Look to him, lean on him, worship him. He brought refreshment, rest to their hearts. People felt rejuvenated and built up in the things of Christ when they were around Philemon. He was a breath of fresh air. Do you pray that this would be true of you? There are some professing Christians who rarely seem to have a good word to say about the church or about the people of God. And when you participate in conversation with them, they seem to just sap the life and energy and joy out of you. They seem incapable of speaking an edifying word. Have you ever been with someone like that? Someone who made you feel as dry as the desert? Someone who gave you the distinct impression that he is little use for the people of God? 
Have you ever known professing Christians who appear to be constantly stabbing the saints, leaving wreckage behind them, wounded Christians, and a trail of blood? Are any of you like that? Do you want to be remembered as a grumpy man, a crabby woman who deflated and discouraged the hearts of the saints? Or do you want to be remembered as a soul-refreshing Christian? Do you want people to say of you, Jesus shone through him or her in such a way that it was just a pleasure to be in his or her presence? As a pastor, God has brought certain people into my life who have been such an encouragement. Some of them are now with the Lord, but my heart is still refreshed when I think about them. When I read verse 7, I can see their faces. And I can say of them what Paul said concerning Philemon, that their love has given me great joy and encouragement because they have refreshed the hearts of the saints. I suspect most of you have had people like that in your life, and perhaps right now you can see their faces. Oh, that the church would be filled with more Philemon's. We live at a time in which there are many hurting people, wounded in their inward parts, in their deepest emotions. So many today, so many today are overcome with burdens. Many professing Christians end up seeing unbelieving counselors and turning to humanistic psychology. But for the most part, such people are looking for answers in the wrong places. We need Philemon's in the church of Christ, not only as leaders, but as members, together bringing rest to the hearts of the saints. When your brother is troubled, remind him of the hope that there is in our great high priest, Jesus Christ. When your sister is struggling, call her attention to the rich promises of God's word. When a family is wounded, point them to the inheritance that awaits the people of God. Philemon was a saint who refreshed the saints. May God grant that more of us would be those who bring rest to the weary and heavy laden. And then congregation, you can see once again how Paul is laying a foundation for his appeal on behalf of Onesimus. The hearts of the saints had been refreshed by Philemon. Onesimus was now a saint. Therefore, Philemon now has opportunity to bring rest to another heart, the heart of his runaway, thieving slave. He is to refresh the heart of Onesimus by welcoming him to the fold as a forgiven brother, a pardoned child of God, loved by Christ. Congregation, such is the power of the gospel. It brings reconciliation between God and man, but also between man and his fellow man. When a sinner comes to know Christ, no matter how evil his past may be, he is to be brought into the fold, ministered to, forgiven, and refreshed. He joins the Koinonia Fellowship.
may it be said of this church that we have many Philemon's, saints, who refresh the saints. And may little Jaden, may little Jaden be raised in that kind of atmosphere in which relationships are cherished and strengthened and people refresh because of the power of the gospel in our lives. May Jaden one day look back and say, what a tremendous privilege to be raised among saints who refreshed the saints. And if you're in our midst today and have not experienced the pardoning grace of God, I exhort you to look to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, slain for sinners. Come to Him, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and He will give you rest. That's His promise. And He's true to His word. May Jaden experience rest in Jesus Christ. May all the children and young people in this church find rest. And may your heart, may your heart be refreshed as you believe the gospel. And then may you be used and may Jaden be used to refresh the hearts of others. May the Lord cause you to be a saint who refreshes the saints. Let us pray. Lord, once again, we thank you for the power of the gospel, not only in forgiving us and bringing us into your kingdom, but also transforming us and uniting us with others who have also been forgiven. We desire, Lord, that you would use each one of us here in this congregation, that we may be used to refresh others, pointing each other to the one who alone can provide rest for weary sinners. We pray, Heavenly Father, that Jaden will be used in a wonderful way to bring many blessings to your church. We think of the power of the gospel at work in Philemon, the power of the gospel at work in Onesimus, and in the congregation also meeting in, in the home of Philemon. And Lord, we desire to see that same transforming power of the gospel in our lives as well. So we pray, Heavenly Father, that you will use all of us. If, if any of us here, if there's anyone here who's a professing Christian has, and, and is living with a critical spirit, a, a spirit that discourages, deflates the hearts of others, will you forgive us for that? Will you transform us? And will you make us those who set forth in a very positive way the one who can bring healing to the wounded and rest to the weary. So Lord, bless us even following the service and our time of fellowship together that we may receive one another as Christ has so mercifully received us. Strengthen the body of Christ as we reflect upon these things. May we display the mind and heart of Jesus to one another. In his name we pray. Amen.